What happens when you take a tech-driven online fashion company that's experiencing explosive growth and infuse it with a deep open source mission? Well, you'll find out on this episode of Talk Python to Me. We'll meet Lori Apple and Rafael Caricio from Zolando, where developers there have published almost 200 open source projects on GitHub. I'm a developer in many senses of the word because I make these applications, but I also use these verbs to make this music. I construct it line by line, just like when I'm coding another software design. In both cases, it's about design patterns. Anyone can get the job done. It's the execution that matters. I have many interests. Sometimes you can Welcome to Talk Python to Me, a weekly podcast on Python, the language, the libraries, the ecosystem, and the personalities. This is your host, Michael Kennedy. Follow me on Twitter where I'm at mkennedy. Keep up with the show and listen to past episodes at talkpython.fm and follow the show on Twitter via at talkpython. This episode is brought to you by Hired and SnapCI. Thank them for supporting the show on Twitter via at hired underscore HQ and at snap underscore CI. Hey everyone. Last episode I told you about my crazy student reward for the Kickstarter. Well, it turns out that Kickstarter is not super keen on us doing that. I don't think we were violating the spirit of the rules, but we were actually violating the letter of the Kickstarter rules of conduct. So sadly, we'll have to pull back that cool offer. However, I'm replacing with something that might even be better. Instead of funding some of the businesses that successfully launch out of the course, we'll have a special Talk Python to Me episode featuring and looking inside a couple of them. Keep an eye out for that in six months or so. Now, let's talk about fashionable open source code. Lori, Raphael, welcome to the show. Thanks. Thanks. It's good to be here. Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited to talk to you guys about what's going on in Zalando. It seems like you're doing a lot of cool Python things, and I think it'll be a fun story for the audience. Yeah, yeah we sure. hope so. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so both of you guys on the show. So let's get started by talking about your background a little bit. How did you get into software? Uh, Lori, you want to go first? Sure. My name's Lori Apple, and I'm the open source evangelist at Zalando. And I came into technology after law school. So my background is not really in programming. It's more in journalism. I did some PR. I also like studied law. And so right after law school, I started working in tech companies on and off. And then in 2012, I started working at Guilt and became their technology evangelist. So I was going to lots of meetups and running the tech blog and social media and uh, working with developers to talk about what we were doing with engineering, with product, with UX. And then I came to Zolando in 2015, so last February. And first I was doing technology evangelism, and then my job kind of morphed into just focusing on the open source evangelism because we have so much work going on in the open source scene. If you look at our dashboard, we have almost 200 projects, uh, and so there's lots to maintain. And I'm also managing Agile man project managing a team. So I guess I have two jobs here. <laughs> yeah, that sounds really fun. And you guys do have a lot going on. We'll talk about some of your open source projects, but yeah, you, you pull that up and it's quite a list of, of stuff there. Yeah, and there used to be a lot more, but I will talk about why there isn't that much. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah, cool. Yeah. And I think software developer evangelist or even more specialized open source evangelist. I think that's, that's such a fun sounding job. It's never been a job I've had, but I've known some people who've done it. And it it seems like you get some of the best part of the tech community, right? You get to bring people together to have fun, to talk about the cool, exciting stuff they're doing. That's great. Yeah. I mean, you link people together. And what I like about open source evangelism is I get to focus on code and working with engineers. I mean, I love product and UX and even like other aspects of technology evangelism, but really working with the engineers and getting them to think of their code and their projects as products is really fun. So Yeah, that's awesome. Raphael, how about you? What's your story? So I started playing with computers like in around 2000, but I only started like real programming in 2005 when I started my university. I don't know why I <laughs> didn't go in programming before because I was playing with Linux since 2002, but I was mostly like fascinated about web and I discovered that everything was HTML. So I started like learning about that, but I don't count that as programming, but I started programming like programming things that 
were really fun in 2005. Maybe because I thought before that programming was some kind of magic thing that you needed to have someone that like to teach you dedicated to that. That's really interesting. I always felt like before I got into programming that programming was like this special art that you had to have four years of university or six years of university to really yeah. be able to do it just seemed so unattainable to me in the beginning but then it turns out it, yeah. it wasn't right yeah so go on your story yeah yeah i i thought that i needed someone and i didn't have anyone in my family or i didn't have any had any friends that were like into programming or into computers as much as i was so i just was doing my stuff myself and reading blogs online and things so, but when I started programming, I got really excited and like in the first two weeks, like I was learning Pascal at that time. And the first two weeks, I just wrote this Pong in the console. My professor was really impressed <laughs> and it was really cool. Since that, I just got crazy and I really liked everything that I was learning. And then I had to find a job quickly because my parents didn't have money to pay for my university in Brazil. So... Yeah, I'm from Brazil. And then I found a job in the first year of university. And I was working with Java at that time because in my hometown, it's not a big city. So I had only like job positions in Java. And then in 2007, I discovered Python. I was just looking for like a easier or more like concise way of writing code. And then I found Python, I was really happy, like I really like it. I found it strange, like this spacing and like indentation to <laughs> define blocks in Python, but then I just got over it and I really liked Python, I started loving it, but I couldn't work with that professionally at the time. And then in 2009, I had the opportunity to like create my own company. Someone just contacted me and said, hey, I have this idea, do you want to work with this? with me and then I said, okay, yeah. And I started working with Python for web development using Django and it was really cool. And since then I just mostly have been working with Python. I worked with Ruby for like two years recently, but but it was just an adventure like in another language <laughs> to get to know more about different communities. But I really like Python and I decided to like get back to Python and this year I joined Zalando and I started working with Python again, and I really like it. Oh, yeah, that's a cool story. I think a lot of people get freaked out by the white space, the significant white space <laughs> in the indentation. You're like, you know, especially if you come yeah. from a... a Just two up. It's totally, a, it's a different way of thinking, right? Normally, you're used to other languages, C languages, JavaScript languages that have curly braces and semicolons and all this formality in, in the language that extra symbols in the language, I guess. And they just seem required when you learn programming. But then if you go and learn Python, if you learn Python first, I suspect it's it's different. But if you go and then learn Python, you're like, well, how can it work without all these support symbols? But it's yeah. it takes about a day and then you're like, I don't miss those anymore. <laughs> yeah. I think I started understanding more when I started like getting into parsers and writing like trying to write compilers and things. I really like this. Like language like creation things and I and after I got some experience like I studied that university and I started doing doing some work myself on that I just, I discovered like okay yeah you can just like space to define blocks and it's not that hard and then I understood fully in this Python thing and it's actually better now I feel like it's good that you can just write less and have more. Yeah. power when you write something. <laughs> That's why I like it too. I mean, what I've done coding in Python, especially with Django Girls, they've got great workshops. Yeah, Django Girls are great, yeah. Yeah, so I did their weekend make a blog from scratch and oh, nice. it was really, really quite fun. But I think for somebody who likes uh, to be sparse with language, it's great. <laughs> and also, I think, I don't know if anybody has ever done a talk or a paper on like the white space of Python, like what it means philosophically, because there's nothing there, but there's everything there. You know, I'm sure like somebody could have yeah, a lot is. of fun with something going on. Like, yeah, that'd be a cool like philosophy 
language philosophy talk. Yeah, that's that's awesome. Yes. <laughs> free free conference talk idea for anyone who wants to pursue it. <laughs> there you go. But if, yeah, <laughs> I think there is a lot of things online about that. I'm, I'm yeah, not I'm sure, sure, but I, I'm sure I read things about that. <laughs> nice. Many yeah. people have the same. <laughs> they have the same experience. Yeah, that's cool. I think you know you said Django girls, and I think one of the things that's special about Python and open source is the community is just so supportive and enthusiastic. Mm-hmm. It's huge. I remember I had a PC once, and I had to download all of these little components like Sigwin, and and it was just you know on a Mac it's so simple, and then my computer was old and screwed up, and I brought it to this meetup. And some this poor guy, he sat there for like half an hour, forty five minutes, and basically was just <laughs> trying to help me download every little crumb to get us closer to home. We didn't actually get there, but oh, um, that's that's too, that's too bad. It's yeah, it's it was been... a it was a piece of crap computer, but. <laughs> It's been really hard on Windows traditionally to do Python, but it's it's getting better. Actually, you know, the guys, one of the Python core developers, Steve Dowers, uh, works at Microsoft, and he's reworking. He reworked. I think it's probably a continuing project. The the installer, so things install a lot better and work. And so it's it's a better story these days. But yeah, it's it's still tough. So let's talk about yeah. Zalando a little bit, mm-hmm. just the background of it. So mm-hmm. a lot of people probably haven't heard of it. What is Zalando? Yeah, so a lot of people in Europe have heard of it. But as an American, you're American too. Yeah, I didn't know about the company until my former colleague had started working here as the VP of engineering. So he's basically the head of engineering for the company. So Zalando is Europe's leading fashion platform. And so it's in 15 countries in Europe. Just today, we got new figures. So we have now more than 19 million active users, more than 11,000 employees, so about 1,300 plus are tech. And we're based in Berlin. We have tech hubs. Uh, This is just for tech, um, not just the whole company, but for the department. We have tech hubs in Dublin, Helsinki, a couple other. German cities. So uh, the company has been growing like crazy. Uh, When I got here, the tech team was maybe 650. So that was just 18 months ago. Wow. So it's almost doubled, huh? Yeah. And we didn't have a Dublin office or a Helsinki office. Uh, We've acquired a couple of companies to build ourselves out as a a platform for real. So um, we have ad tech happening now and lots of content uh, features coming up. I mean, it's, it's quite a... That's really cool. Yeah, that's quite a powerhouse. So you guys, yeah. your major, major product is sort of online fashion stuff, right? So if I want to yes. buy clothes or like a cool suit or, or slacks or something like yes. that? Right. So we work with all of the major brands you're familiar with. Any household fashion brand, sure. you're probably going to find it on our website. Yeah. And, and we went public two years ago, too. So that was a nice success. Yeah, that's cool. That's really cool. So is it a technical challenge, um, both the, the software development side and carrying this open source message when you guys are growing so fast and acquiring other companies that maybe have different approaches? Oh, sure. And if you think about, we're very international in our tech team as well. So you have lots of different interpretations of how a tech team should work and what agile is. And some of our engineers, they've never really worked in an agile environment. And so when you're growing that fast and you're trying to scale so quickly and work in an agile way, it's very interesting. (laughs) Uh, This company was not always agile. There was a, a shift last spring, so spring 2015, towards this mindset called radical agility. And this is where we officially introduced autonomous teams and mastery and purpose. So the pillars are based on Daniel Pink's drive, which was where autonomy, mastery and purpose comes from. Daniel Pink has a really cool book and way of thinking. Yeah. So we basically adopted that um, and revamped the tech organization. I mean, some teams had already been working in this fashion, but not department wide. And so we, we said, okay, teams, you're autonomous. And then 
now you're also going to have twice as many teams within 18 months and we're still growing. So yeah, there's all kinds of interesting learnings and experiences that you get when you, when you subject yourself to something so courageous, it really is courageous for like the tech leadership to take such a change on because you just don't do it overnight, you know? When I heard the first time about Zalando, it was just a website where you could buy clothes and stuff. And many people here still have this idea that Zalando is just, oh, it's just a shop. It's just a shop online, a website. But when I got here, I discovered that there is much more than just a website, a shop where you can buy things. Like Zalando have the Datware warehouse, like where they store all the clothing, take pictures of every article, like every piece of clothing and to put in the website, treat the pictures photos. So there is a lot of things that happen behind the scenes to this website to work. And all of this is developed in-house, like the technology for all these levels, let's say. And then when I started here, I discovered that and I was like, whoa, yeah, there is a lot to do here. It's not just a website. Yeah, that's really (laughs) cool. You guys have the whole sort of web property of a bunch of API things going on. You have some machine learning. We're going to dig into all those things in time. But yeah, there's definitely a bunch of cool stuff happening there. Laura, you talked about what you do at Solando with the open source evangelists and, and project management and, and stuff like that. Raphael, mm-hmm. how about you? What are you working on there? Yeah, so I currently work at the continuous delivery team. So my team, there is like three sub teams in the team I work. But basically, we maintain the continuous deployment for other teams, like tools around that and Jenkins. So each team have a Jenkins instance to run tests and like deployment jobs. So currently working, like creating these tools to enable teams to deploy easier, like and automatic. So they don't need to manually go to the machine, like SSH to the machine to make a deploy, anything like that. Just use some tools. So we have some open source tools like Senza and like all the things that we use to deploy. And I also work in some open source projects at Zalando that support, like the, that we use to create those tools. So Connection is one of those projects. Yeah. And basically that's what I do. I develop software here and I also support teams also in like helping them. Like they come to me, they sit next to me and say, Hey, Rafael, I cannot deploy. Like there's a problem here. And I see if it's a bug or if we, he just miss using the tool. Or, sure. Yeah, so, Oh, that's really cool. And I saw that you guys are using a lot of interesting container technologies. So mm-hmm. are, are you using Docker? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. Basically, like our applications that we deploy production, like we use AWS CloudFormation API and like we have infrastructure around uh, AWS, which is called Stubs platform. It's completely open source. Like there is many applications that work together for deployment. And yeah, we use Docker as a packaging uh, format for the applications that we have. And then we have like our one Docker repository, uh, which is Peer One. So we push the image there, and like you cannot delete, so everything's like immutable stacks. And we use AWS CloudFormation API to like create the whole stack of the application, like the whole uh, stack when we release a new version of the application, and then we just switch the traffic to this new stack. So, yeah, and there is other tools to access the machine and everything is logged. So, you know, like, who accessed which machine for what, in which time, in what time. And this is very important for uh, traceability and for compliance here in Europe. Yeah, of course. How many different systems do you have running in AWS? It must be a ton, right? Yeah, there is a lot. <laughs> I don't even know. <laughs> yeah, how do you guys yeah. keep track of that? Each team have their one AWS account, and we have one service that, like in this stops platform, we have one service that crawl like all the APIs that we have because, like, our applications they are registered in one <laughs> application that 
like one of the applications of the stops that manage the other applications, let's say, is called Hue. Yeah, so you've got like an app to manage your apps. Yeah. You, yeah okay. That seems pretty yeah, standard so, in Docker though, right? Because it's hard to know what is where. Yeah, yeah. So here we have like a central point of where we register all applications. So from that, you get access, like your application can get credentials for to access Amazon and to access other applications endpoints using OAuth 2 and also these application manage the versions for like the new versions of each application. And there is another tool that <laughs> crawls <laughs> all the endpoints that are registered in this queue. That's the name of the application where we registered. So basically you can make an API, API call to this crawler and yeah, it will list to you like all endpoints that we have in as well. I see. So it does kind of like a service discovery thing for you. So you might start by saying, yeah, I want to talk to the the credit card service. Where is it? Oh, it's over here. Okay. And then yeah. you go make a secondary call to that, something like this? Yes. And we use like, we make extensive use of uh, Swagger, open API definitions for every application. We create like every application that use, that we have APIs for that. And all the definitions, like the Swagger definitions, they are like in an open endpoint. So we can describe like and know what app API is waiting, like call or like what are the parameters and everything. And we have also a bunch of tools around Swagger and connection is one of these tools. Yeah. And this thing stoops if you go if it's stups.io and a lot of the components there are made out of Python. Like Raphael's team is currently working on Senzo, which is part of the Stoops ecosystem. They have this project called Lizzie that also is like works with Stoops. Um, Raphael can explain it better for you, but okay, um, yeah. a lot of that is Python, but also Java and there's some Clojure, but. Yeah, I'll, everything that I'm talking about here is in this stop, stops.io and everything is open source. So you can just find it online, the documentation is online. So. Oh, that's really cool. Yeah, and it's really well documented. And it looks like it's it's really built to manage this type of set of applications within AWS, right? Like it's mm-hmm. it's built on yes. cloud, uh, mm-hmm. cloud found, uh, formation and cloud trail and all those different types of things, right? Yeah, yeah. and they're built they're based around making so the there's the idea of autonomy right is uh, factored into the way that stoops is architected so if you have every team with their own aws account then stoops helps those teams okay yeah work autonomously but also helps us to consolidate a lot of this information flying around with all the different applications and then if there is some sort of violation stoops has mechanism for helping us like report those and track them so that teams can fix and okay yeah it's, it's a way out. of managing what the teams are doing like we have this full stop application that checks the log trail cloud trail of the aws accounts and then verify if each team is like following the rules we have a like rules of play here at zalando we have to follow these rules like basically rules like of software development like some best practices, and some of these practices are verified using this tool full stop automatically, and it generates violations for the team. So it's like an alert, and the team knows, like, oh, I forgot to create a new version for this application, or I forgot to like enable the Swagger definition endpoint in my application or something. So it's really useful. And then it gets reported to your turn, which is like this. Fun and you know, you can go and search for your violations by your team. I see. Wow, this is really fascinating. That's quite a the <laughs> system that you guys have in place there, and the integration with Swagger, which we can talk about in a little bit, is also really nice. So it's you can discover it in a meaningful way, not just know that it exists, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. I'll definitely link to that in the show notes because that's that's a cool project. This portion of Talk Python to Me is brought to you by Hired. Hired is the platform for top Python developer jobs. Create your profile and instantly get access to 3,500 companies who will work to compete with you. Take it from one of Hired's users who recently got a job and said, 
I had my first offer on Thursday after going live on Monday and I ended up getting eight offers in total. I've worked with recruiters in the past, but they've always been pretty hit and miss. I tried LinkedIn, but I found Hired to be the best. I really like knowing the salary up front. Privacy was also a huge seller for me. Sounds awesome, doesn't it? Well, wait until you hear about the signing bonus. Everyone who accepts a job from Hired gets a $1,000 signing bonus. And as TalkPython listeners, it gets way sweeter. Use the link Hired.com slash TalkPython to me and Hired will double the signing bonus to $2,000. Opportunities knocking. Visit Hired.com slash TalkPython to me and answer the door. Maybe Lori, go first on this question. What sure. are some of the real technical challenges you guys have at Zalando? Well, I think we talked about the scalability. So that's one. You know, when you're growing a team so quickly and how do you get everybody on board? And also, how do you make sure that the team ingredients are right when you're moving so fast um, so that you have your balance within teams of senior, junior, front end, back end. I mean, when you're, when you're coming from a more command and control background, like a lot of the teams were when radical agility went live, you're talking about engineers doing a lot of functional tasks and seeing themselves as the back ender. Uh, but so why would I want to talk about front end? What do I know about that? Or you would have it on the opposite. I'm a front ender. Yeah. What do I know about API calls and OAuth? You know, so one of the challenges is really getting teams to be cross-functional. And so that's something that we're actually working on more recently. Uh, we're starting to, uh, we've rolled out an inner source pilot. So not just doing open source for the world, but also internally because we have services and libraries and other stuff that we can't really release publicly. Um, either it's too, too embryonic or it's just really tightly connected to what we're doing and it wouldn't provide much value to the world. Uh, we used to just kind of release a lot of that stuff online too, which is partly explains why we have less open source on our dashboard than we did because we were kind of releasing stuff because radical agility was just sort of very exciting for a lot of the engineers. Like they get to finally like do open source. And so they just went to town and now it's sort of like, okay, what is the purpose bringing that idea of purpose back into the work? And so if the purpose is to serve us, you know, we, probably should just keep it on GitHub Enterprise and work on it ourselves. But, you know, ourselves isn't just our own team. It's the other team down the hall and the team in Dublin and the team in Helsinki. So we're really um, pushing this idea of inner source so that we can foster more collaboration internally. And over time, like if you see, like a, we have some repos where well, like one engineer makes 600 commits and then the next engineer makes maybe 100, right? So there's this team imbalance with inner source if you have more eyes on your work more people asking questions maybe making contributions hopefully over time you start to see the workload balancing out and the knowledge that comes with making a service or library component starting to get more distributed around the teams and so this is a this is a challenge because you know some teams are more ready for it than others right like yeah, of course. some people don't want anyone to look at their code because maybe they're afraid of being that it's bad, right? So another challenge in all of this growth is making sure that you're reinforcing to your developers that they have the right to make mistakes and that they're here to learn and also to learn from their mistakes and get better at coding, get better at reviewing code and all of those other parts of the engineer's job yeah okay Besides that's yeah that's really cool i'm a function <laughs> I'm, <laughs> yeah, a I, I'm a robot I'm a I work on the database connection part or whatever yeah yeah exactly yeah so one of the primary goals of the whole agile thing from in its origin was about this creating cross cross functional teams and and learning mm -hmm. more more vertical slices of the app <laughs> than just mm -hmm. being stuck on your your little part and you talked about switching to radical agility, and that's based on Daniel Pink's work, which is his whole motivation thing is amazing. But can you talk a little bit about what are some like what makes radical agility different than say Scrum? Like what what is it like to actually do radical agility? Sure. So with Scrum, it's sort of your 
ceremonies, right? You have the scrum process and you have the sprint and you have the certain number of meetings and it's pretty straightforward. You know, it's a, your start, your check-ins, your end and your retrospective. Um, the team I'm working with has more of a Kanban approach. So I let them choose the backlog. So they order the tasks that they want to work on. Uh, they rate their priorities and we do a daily stand-up, but we don't have like fixed periods of time. Like we're not doing a month long. We're, we're just checking in regularly to make sure that the work gets done and keeps flowing. Um, but I, there's also scrum elements in that. So that's just with my team. But if you go down the hall, they may be working in a scrum set up like to the book. You may go down the other hall and you may see a team that's doing some kind of scrum waterfall Kanban mixture. I mean, every team is sort of at liberty to figure out what works best for them because there's just really no cut and dried scrum works for everyone or Kanban works for everyone. Teams have different personalities. They different ingredients to the table and really what autonomy means is you find something that works it helps you deliver and you iterate on that and it doesn't have to be any sort of fixed thing i mean that's you start talking about fixed systems then you're counter agile you know so yeah so that's it's abstract and it's hard to it's it's part of that doesn't happen overnight thing of course <laughs> you know? it seems to me like a lot one of, of iteration yeah it seems to me like one of the things that's sort of core to Daniel Pink's work is about autonomy. And he's done some really interesting experiments and other, you know, brought together others experiments around sort of when you're doing knowledge work, what makes you the happiest and the most productive. And it's not the biggest pay increase or anything like that. It's, it's about autonomy, right? Like you get it, you get to control your future. So it sounds to me like, these different teams kind of get to have a lot of say in how they work day to day. Okay, cool. Yeah. I think yeah. if you go to each team here is on the work differently. And like, I really like to work in my team because we don't have a lot of bureaucracy. Like we have like standups every day. It's just like to check in and see what, if you need some help or if you're stuck with something else uh, that someone can help you. But we work kind of, like I would say like open source, like we really work with GitHub Enterprise and GitHub, like our is where our projects are. And like we have clients like Summers here, like users of our applications. So they open issues there in the repos. And then we just have these plannings every Friday that where they say like, okay, we, this week, more or less next week, we will work uh, on those issues. And then we just assign the tickets and work on it. And there's no, overhead of what meetings and we just sit, do our work, send a pull request, send a link to people, say, hey, could you please review this? And we just basically work in this Git flow thing and it's really good. I feel really comfortable work this way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's cool. The whole Git flow style is is really quite fantastic. So let me yeah. put the question to you, Raphael. Like, what are you, from where, what you're doing and where you live in the whole technical space? What are the biggest challenges you see technically? Yeah, like right now, uh, I would say that is making the teams understand how our architecture work, like how our tools work, like these stops and how to use it properly to make them work faster. So. Right now, I have like the biggest challenge now, I would say that, yeah, is spreading the idea on how to use and making the documentation better and making the, the applications work. Because I think we develop really good tools and we need to improve them because like we are changing and there's a lot that we did before that could be improved now and I'm just like re refactoring some code, like some old code that we had and making it work faster or work better and give better feedback to the users. And yeah, I think making this open source uh, idea more internal, like Apple, uh, Laurie said about inner sourcing, like is more about like spreading 
how our projects work and make people use and be autonomous to just read the documentation and start working. So we really work developing tools for other teams. So I think this is very important for my team specifically and making, yeah, making the tools user easy to use for the teams and make them be able to work autonomously. I mean, one of the challenges too, just to like, when you have a team of the size and teams are really, we've encouraged people to use the tools that they want to use to get the job done. But when, when you start to have too many tools, too many languages, <laughs> too many things, then it becomes hard to, it becomes hard to intersource because you may have a great project, but one team is in Java, the project is in Python, and the Java folks are going to have to ramp up a little bit to learn Python, and they may not have the time to do that. Mm-hmm. So we've actually created a tech radar, taking a nod from ThoughtWorks who have their their tech radar. So we implemented that idea for our own team. And so we have uh, certain languages that are, it's all organized into concentric circles. So we have like our, our approved list, you know, we want you to use these things and then sort of like on hold so that we're flexible enough to start working with new technologies as they become more useful and more popular. And so uh, we have a certain collection of languages we really encourage teams to use and python's being one of them but yeah that's a really smart idea the whole tech radar thing that, that's cool yeah thought works they their thoughts work <laughs> i don't know if they use that but maybe they <laughs> you, you just gave them a new new uh <laughs> tagline <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's really cheesy but yeah they're probably they're they're not they're they probably would not want that so i think but yeah yeah, cool. So you said that uh, you had started out with sort of a Java monolith app, and you're kind of moving more to this microservice architecture where there's more dif- different technologies, smaller building blocks. It's all supported by steps. Can you talk a bit about that? Sure. Yeah. So when Zalando was founded, it was like Magento. It was PHP. And that was fine for a little while, but then the company grew. And so we moved to the JVM in about three and a half months. So you can imagine what that was like, <laughs> lots of work. And that worked pretty well for about five, four years or so. But then you, know, you have a monolith, such a huge company, such a huge team. It just made fixing bugs, working really slow and difficult. It held us pretty much to feature technology, and that's not very exciting if you want to play around with different languages, different technologies, uh, even for the hiring side. Yeah. And as an open source evangelist view, right? Like you can't easily release that as a thing to the world and to participate, right? Because it's just one giant Java app. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, there were Python projects coming up uh, this whole time, right? So we have a suite of Postgres tools that were created in Python, and some of them are about three years old. So there was a little bit of room more on the platform infra side to develop in Python. There's a lot of Python developers there. But on the whole, yeah, it was pretty, pretty monolith. So then now uh, with radical agility, there's this shift. Uh, Raphael mentioned the rules of play. One of the rules is microservices, you know, supporting and building out this kind of architecture. And so that's where you start seeing a lot of this diversity in languages and flexibility, and you can just rewrite stuff if you want to do it differently, you know, and it shouldn't take that long because it's a lot smaller. Yeah, that's cool. And, you know, you can make those things work if you have systems like Stups in place to to Mm -hmm. sort of bring bring it together smoothly, yeah? And APIs. Yeah, and APIs, absolutely. One of the big questions uh, or decisions people are making, and it's sort of transitioning these days, but are you guys using Python 2 or using Python 3? Yeah, so we are like recommending new teams to, like they are creating new projects to use Python 3, Python 3.5 specifically, like the latest version. And yeah, most of the teams use Python 3, but we have some old projects that use Python 2.7 and some projects, some applications that 
are developed in Python and running our data center. And in our data center, we can just deploy applications with Python 2.7. But the idea is that we want to shut down the data center very soon so and migrate everything to AWS. And then the team will be able to migrate fully to Python 3. But yeah, mostly we recommend and <laughs> all new projects are in Python 3. Yeah, that's really cool to hear. Do you think that the microservice architecture and the API architecture made that more possible? Like there's not some huge million line Python 2.4 yeah, <laughs> version? Definitely. <laughs> yeah. Like having microservices instead of a big monolith application makes it easier to just replace the old application, just fix or update the code that we had before and to be compatible with Python 3 and take advantage of the new libraries and integrations in the standard library of Python 3. So we can just even like reduce the dependencies and yeah, just have a more concise code. Yeah, that's cool. We all want to ship our software faster, respond to user requests quicker, and build an edge on the competition. But the faster you go, the more likely a bug or issue will slip by and cause your users grief. I have the same trade-offs with my TalkPython websites and infrastructure. That's why I use SnapCI. Every time I check in at GitHub, SnapCI springs into action. A clean copy of code is pulled from GitHub, a Python 3 virtual environment is created, all the packages and dependencies are installed, the unit tests are run, Finally, I'm notified in Slack and a menu bar on my Mac about the outcome. That way, I know it's safe to ship a shiny new version of my web app. Ship your software faster with a 30-day free trial at snap.ci slash talkpython. So let's talk about some of the open source projects you guys have going. You have your own GitHub pages section, so... Zalando.github.io. And mm -hmm. in there, you have a really cool, you call it a dashboard, I guess, a uh, really cool dashboard of all of your open source projects broken down or repositories by language. And there's a bunch of cool stuff. So, first of all, like, how did you create that page? Do you guys know? In house, uh, it started as an onboarding team, so an uh, onboarding project. So, our onboarding is pretty intense. Because every month we're adding dozens of new folks to the tech yeah. team, so uh, we had a we had a system a program for a while where the newbies would work on something for part of their onboarding, and so the dashboard came about as that. And then in May, uh, we made some f fixes with our UX designers, and it was a different team just redesigned it and added the search feature and yeah. to change the formula a little bit to reward activity and external contributors and stars. So like you'll see connection, which is Raphael's main project that he's working on is at the top project. Yeah. Way to go. That's awesome. So this is really yeah. nice, a really nice way to showcase what you're doing. There's a lot of companies that you, you know, you, if you set up an organization in GitHub, then you automatically get, some kind of like this a little bit like but just as a github profile page but this is really nice so i, I was thinking like oh well, where's the automatic generator of this thing because this is cool but <laughs> yeah we have some really talented ux designers here okay shout out to Gloria ruprecht who is one of the ux designers that did this like in her spare time because a lot of the engineers happen to be on her team and so she she kind of got pulled into this a little. But yeah, she she and another UX designer, Gabriel, they... Yeah, nice work. Props to them. That's cool. So, Raphael, let's talk about your project a little bit. Let's talk about connections. Okay. C-O-N-N-E-X-I-O-N. -N -N -E what is that? Yeah, so connections started as we were developing this tool, like this API for in Python for deploying applications. And actually, Juan, we started even before I joined Zalando. And he realized that not only in this API, we would need, in this microservice, we would need to have like this Swagger handling and creating a API based on Swagger file. Because yeah, here at Zalando, we have this process of creating 
microservices. You just just don't like you started coding directly the microservice. We have the API guild that we review the API definition, like the Swagger file. So if you want to create a new microservice here at Zalando, you go to the you create your API definition, the Swagger file. And then you go to the API guild and you show them there is some guidelines and there is some rules that you should follow when creating a new API. And then they give you suggestions and give you insights to how to make your API look better and better for other people that are going to use it. And then you have a definition of your whole API even before you write the first line of code. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, let me just ask you for... For everyone's sake, because not everybody knows what Swagger is or how Swagger defines a a documentation or how it can be used to actually build an API itself. So what's Swagger? Yeah, Swagger is like a specification that is is a standard. There is many standards that started popping up around a specification of APIs, like how HTTP requests should be made and which endpoints are available, which parameters you're waiting, which like validations are like which formats the parameters should be. And I would say that Swagger like is the one that's winning now and this is recently supported by the Linux Foundation and is changing the name from Swagger to Open API. So that's why sometimes I was saying Swagger Open API mm. because it's changing the name. The official name now is Open API. So it's the version 2, is the latest version. They are working the version 3. But yeah, currently we use the version 2. And yeah, it's just a way to define your API in a pretty good detail. Like you can define the endpoints, the parameters, how are the, what are the HTTP status that should be expected by the clients. And from this specification, uh, you can generate code. Like there is a swag code, Swagger code gen. Is a tool that you can generate code in many different languages, including Python. And if you use the Swagger code gen, you can generate actually connection, Python code that use connection out of your Swagger definition. And you can just write the code that already have dictionary validated and the way you expect it, the way you define Swagger definition. Yeah, so connection basically is a... Flask is built on top of Flask. You yes. you give it one of these Swagger files, which is a YAML file format that talks about the various endpoints and the type of data is passed to them and, and so on. And it will basically automatically set up the routing and the data passing, and you just write the functions to actually do the processing. Is that the right summary? Yes, exactly. In the Swagger file, there is like a property, like operation ID, and we use this property to assign which function should be called for each endpoint. But yeah, exactly, you described it very good. That's really cool. So if I created an API this way, can I go to it and like ask it for help? If I don't know what it is, I just find the base endpoint, and will it show me like some kind of documentation of what the operations are available? Yes. By default, like connection enables the swagger.json endpoint, where it returns a, like the swagger definition. So if you have an API like created using connection, you can this is enabled by default, but you can of course like hide this if you don't want it to be available to, to anyone. At Zalando, we have this by default uh, enabled, so you can inspect in your APIs and see what they expect and what how you should call it. Okay, nice. And is there a way to get like a friendly human readable format? Uh, yes, in connection, I also provide like UI for that. There is a Swagger UI that is like a standard in Swagger projects and connection provide this as well in the UI. Like you have an API creating a connection, you do dash UI and you can see this dashboard. You can also disable it if you don't want, but there is this console that you can just have. You just have like an interface, HTTP page, uh, HTML page where you can just make requests Okay, yeah. To API using like an interface. Yeah, that's really cool. And so this plays like a central role in describing and uh, building a lot of the APIs 
that are in your steps, that are deployed into steps? Yes, yes. We have also the same idea as connection. Like you create first the definition and then generate, and then write the code that handles the endpoints defined in the Swagger definition. Uh, we have also similar projects for different programming languages like Clojure and Java. And yeah, so you can just see, you know, Zalando GitHub page. Right. Oh, that's really cool. Yeah, one of the one of the challenges of these HTTP services or RESTful services is they're really nice to work with, but they're very opaque. You have almost no way uh, to understand what they do or how they do it unless you just you know go and read the docs or, or something, right? And so having these somewhat self-documenting is, is really cool. Yes, definitely. It's very important to <laughs> tell you, the clients like how they should call the endpoints. And have this documented is very important. And you can just just use this documentation, which is parsable with a JSON file to generate code and generate clients, clients that are up to date with your API. So connection, like the idea of using connection to have this, your server, your Microsoft using the definition of your endpoints to handle and validate the requests make it guarantees that the clients are going to call it properly, like that the specification, the documentation of the API is up to date with your code. Yeah, that's cool. You just change the documentation and you can regenerate the clients as well. That's pretty awesome. Uh, very nice, very nice. So it seems like open source is something that you guys care more than most companies, I would say. Uh, I mean, you have like a special page showcasing all your GitHub work. You have you trimmed it down to 200 repositories. Like, So why the focus on open source there? I think one reason is that uh, our VP of engineering is still a developer, loves code, uh, introduced Scala to three different companies. And so he comes to his leadership style and what uh, has helped create a culture where we really value the actual work of coding. So open source is probably the best way to be able to learn quickly. You make new projects at work, you iterate, you innovate. Uh, there's also the fun community aspect and how, how amazing it is when a little idea can turn into something so huge. Like you might've seen Linus Torvald's Ted talk or Ted like discussion. I think it was a Ted conversation where he talks about how uh, Linux and Git grew. I mean, he's just a guy in a room <laughs> and it becomes where this project is used around the world. And there's just something pretty magical in, in my opinion. Um, it's also a really great way to solve your technical challenges. If something you're working with doesn't do the job, then if you're clever, you can make your own library or component and, get your job done. Yeah. So I think that it's really, it's the most fun take on capitalism I can think of. I mean, this idea that huge, extremely successful tech companies with billions of dollars can provide this way for creative, smart people to just work for the love of it. And yeah. Create it's, because they want to. Yeah. It's really amazing. Like I try to showcase companies that are actually building their business on open source in a way that the thing that is their the foundation of their business, they're actually giving away. It's on GitHub. You could go get it. And yet there are these great, vibrant companies. I think, yeah, I think it's really amazing. And it's really cool that you guys are, are giving away and making public so much of what you're doing. Yeah, and it's a great conversation starter. Like I did a onboarding presentation to the new hires yesterday or the day before about our open source culture and just asking who in the room has already brought, made something, get these people really excited to talk about their work. They contributed to another project. Okay, what was that like? What did you learn? I mean, it's just really, it's just all organic and fun. Yeah, oh, I'm sure it is. And speaking of fun to work in these environments, you guys have quite a few interesting tech jobs 
available, right? At tech.zalando.de slash jobs. You had something like 17 software jobs and 12 data science jobs with machine learning and all sorts of cool stuff going on. So people, a lot of people out there listening are asking me, you'll send me messages like, Hey, can you recommend a cool place to work or, or something like, Mm -hmm. you know, check this out. That's, That's definitely a good option, right? Yeah. And we have all levels, all backgrounds. It's such a diverse team. When you think about where everybody comes from, you know, geographically, companies they worked for previously, or if it's their first job, you know, how did they get here? Yeah. I really like the idea that to work with people from everywhere around the world. Like I'm from Brazil, but in my team, there is people from Poland, from Portugal, from Netherlands, and from the US. There is people from everywhere. And it's really cool. Like it's really nice. You have very interesting conversation, like at the lunching time or like about our different cultures and backgrounds. And it's really cool. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. really cool. Awesome. So people check that out if you're interested in working on these types of projects. So I just have a few moments left. Let me ask you guys two questions that I normally ask everyone at the end of the show and whoever wants can take them. So Mm -hmm. on the Python package index, there are over 80,000 packages that do, you know, open source packages that do so many amazing things. Uh, Do you guys have one you recommend or that you think is pretty cool? Yeah, uh, like we use a lot of requests. It's a pretty known package, but yeah, we use a lot and it's really good. Like I really, it works really nice. So I would really recommend if you don't know, you don't use it, you should. Yeah, request is pretty awesome. And we have an engineer on our team, Henning, who he was largely responsible for our Python work earlier on when we were the Java monoliths and didn't have too much happening with open source. So he's got a fair number of packages up there. So I'll, I'll give a plug for NS Enter. It's a Python package that lets you add enter Linux kernel namespaces with a single syscall. So Okay, awesome. He probably need it and <laughs> made it himself. He's kind of like that. He just puts out a lot of code and lots of projects. Yeah, that's great. It's amazing how prolific some people are, right? Yes. Cool. <laughs> He's one of them. <laughs> yeah, very cool. And then the other question is, uh, when you write Python code, what editor do you use? Yeah, I personally use Emacs, but there's not many people here at Zalando that use Emacs. Like we have a guild and there's a few people there, but most of the people that work with Python here, they use PyCharm. Okay, yeah, PyCharm is definitely a good one. And Emacs, I would say, is quite popular out, out there from the people I've interviewed. So, yeah, that's cool. I like yeah. Adam. Yeah. Adam works for me. Yeah, I think like Emacs is like if you really want to sharp your tool, like I really like to spend time just configuring my <laughs> editor and <laughs> seeing it working better and having new key bindings that work do magical things for me. It's okay. Really cool. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, Emacs is great for that. And yeah, Adam, I like I like Adam as well. Yeah. It, it's a good S- one. Sublime Text also does the job. Yeah, very cool. I'm not too picky on features. It's like Bare minimum, but I think both are so very loved by people who are picky about things. So <laughs> Nice. All right, a final call to action. People want to get started with your open source stuff or learn more about, about it. What do they do? You should go to Zalando. So that's Z-A-L-A-N-D-O dot GitHub dot I-O. Look at what we have. Poke around. See if there's something that looks interesting. Definitely... Try out a connection, check it out, see if there's some feature or bug you want to fix. Ping Raphael, he'll probably be the one responding to you if it's not Zhao. We have a bunch of open issues there. You can just pick one and work on it. And there's another project, too, that's pretty exciting called Petroni that's also coded in Python. And we're actually trying to get more uh, folks that use Kubernetes with Google Cloud Engine to try that one out. But it's uh, we, we have a lot of Postgres fans. And we have a couple experts even in Postgres. We've been using it for several years. And so Petroni is a template for Postgres high availability. And you can use it with Zookeeper, etcd, or console. And we developed it. We have um, Josh Burgess of Red Hat. He's made a couple. Maybe I should say I shouldn't be. He's made a Quite a number of contributions, and I was also uh, talked about it at Cubicon. So we're really trying to get more users of it, for especially in the Kubernetes community. Yeah, those sound like great projects. And yeah, you guys have a ton of open source things available at, on your GitHub pages. 
those links. So I'll be sure to link to all those things. Lori, Raphael, it's been great to talk to you. Thanks for being on the show. Yeah, thank, thank you. Yep, bye. This has been another episode of Talk Python to Me. Today's guests have been Lori Apple and Raphael Caricio. And this episode has been sponsored by Hired and SnapCI. Thank you both for supporting the show. Hired wants to help you find your next big thing. Visit Hired.com slash TalkPython to me to get five or more offers with salary and equity presented right up front and a special listener signing bonus of $2,000. SnapCI is modern, continuous integration and delivery. Build, test, and deploy your code directly from GitHub, all in your browser with debugging, Docker, and parallelism included. Try them for free at snap.ci slash TalkPython. I'm so excited to finally be able to unveil my Python for Entrepreneurs course that I told you about at the top of the show. If you want to learn Python web development and launch an online business, you owe it to yourself to check out the Kickstarter at talkpython.fm slash launch. I hope we can build something amazing together. You can find the links from this episode at talkpython.fm slash episodes slash show slash 72. Be sure to subscribe to the show. Open your favorite podcatcher and search for Python. We should be right at the top. You can also find the iTunes feed at slash iTunes, Google Play feed at slash play, and direct RSS feed at slash RSS on talkpython.fm. Our theme music is Developers, Developers, Developers by Corey Smith, who goes by Smix. Corey just recently started selling his tracks on iTunes, so I recommend you check it out at talkpython.fm slash music. You can browse his tracks he has for sale on iTunes and listen to the full-length version of the theme song. This is your host, Michael Kennedy. Thanks so much for listening. I really appreciate it. Smix, let's get out of here. Stating with my voice, there's no norm that I can feel within. Haven't been sleeping, I've been using lots of rest. I'll pass the mic back to who rocked it.